Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We've been in this text for a few weeks now, but we've been looking at the legacy that Jesus Christ has left to us. And we have found that in that legacy, there are a number of aspects to that legacy that underscore the significance, the importance of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and the benefits that he has brought into our lives when we put our faith and trust in him. Luke chapter 1. And we will read um, the same text that we have read for the last several Sundays. We shall read it again. It is about the visitation that Mary received from the angel Gabriel in announcing to her the coming Christ. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was, was, who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. And we ask his blessings upon his word. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> For just a moment. I would say I have a frog in my throat, but that wouldn't sound very good. It would paint an awful picture in your mind. Now, I want you to note that the angel Gabriel said to Mary specifically that you're going to conceive and you're going to have a child. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate that. You're going to bear a child. And you're going to name him Jesus, that is, salvation. God is my salvation. He's going to be great. 
He's going to be superior to all other humans that have ever been born because he will not only be the son of man, he will also be the son of God. He will be great. He will be called the son of the Most High. As son of God, he is God. The son of a human is a human. The son of God... I'm drowning up here. (laughs) Thank you, David. That's cold. It's also water. As the Son of God, He is God. He bears the nature, the character, the purpose, the will of God because he is God in essence, as the Holy Spirit is God in essence. They share the same essence, character, nature, and purpose, and yet they are three distinct persons. This is known as the Holy Trinity. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's where I want to focus our attention this morning, on the promise that the Christ, the son of Mary, will inherit the throne of King David. Now, we don't often think of Jesus as a king, but scripture tells us that he is a king. He is the king of God's kingdom, and that kingdom will one day be established in the earth. Now, the words of Gabriel here reflect what we understand to be the Davidic covenant, the Davidic covenant. I want you to take your Bible and turn back into the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here's the text that forms the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Second Samuel chapter 7. Now it came when the king lived in his house, that is King David, lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all of his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But it came about in the same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. 
And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may live in their own place, and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly." even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares that you, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house... And your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the Davidic covenant. This is a covenant that God had established with David. It is an unconditional covenant. This is not a covenant that is based upon David's ability to obey God to the fullest extent, because we know that's not true. David did turn his back on God. David did commit egregious sins before the Lord. But this covenant is not based upon what David was able to do. It was based solely upon God's faithfulness to his people and his faithfulness to David. So that makes it an unconditional covenant. There are several unconditional covenants in Scripture. Back in Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, God established a a covenant with Noah and with the entire earth, an unconditional covenant that he would never again destroy the earth by a flood. We find another unconditional covenant that God made in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. God made a covenant with Abraham and with his descendants, the Hebrew people. And that covenant contained three principles to it. First of all, that they would be given a land, an inheritance, um, the land of Canaan that would be theirs forever. Second, that the nation of Israel would be God's chosen people forever. They would no longer be uh, just one group of people out of several groups of people. They would form a nation, a holy nation unto God. And they would exist as God's chosen people forever. And then third, that God would bless them with great and numerous blessings. And they in turn will be a blessing to the peoples of the earth. Now we know that Noah was not faithful to the covenant. Because Noah on one occasion after the flood got drunk. 
and um, his sons came in, saw his nakedness, and made fun of him, and one of them was cursed. Noah had his faults. Certainly Abraham had his faults, and the descendants of Abraham had their faults as well. But these are unconditional covenants. These are covenants not based upon the, the abilities of man to honor God and to obey the principles of the covenant. They're solely based on God's holy and righteous faithfulness to his people. God is the only one who can fulfill such covenants. There is another covenant in the Old Testament that is not a, an unconditional covenant. It is a conditional covenant. It's the Mosaic covenant. And it's found in Exodus chapters 19 through 24. When God through Moses gave the children of Israel the Ten Commandments and all of the um, applications of the commandments to the life and to the nation of Israel. And based upon their obedience to God's commandments, God would bless, and in case of their disobedience, God would curse. This is a conditional covenant. It is not an unconditional one. God would bless his people if they obeyed him. God would judge his people if they disobeyed him. And we have many examples of conditional covenants throughout the Old Testament as well. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 33, the Lord God tells us of his faithfulness to keep the covenant that he has with his people. He says to the children of Israel, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. That was the conditional covenant the Mosaic covenant, if you will, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Now, through Jeremiah the prophet, God reveals to Israel that he will establish with them yet another covenant that is unconditional. And it is a covenant that's not going to be regulated by laws and rules and regulations. It's not going to be a covenant that's going to be stipulated by do's and don'ts. It's a covenant that will be underscored by a relationship. A relationship that the children of Israel will have with God himself and that God will have with his people. A personal relationship, an intimate relationship, an ongoing relationship. That covenant has yet to be fulfilled, but it is nonetheless an unconditional covenant that God has promised to the household of Abraham. In looking at the Davidic covenant, because this is the one that we're going to focus our attention on this morning, 
Because that's what the angel Gabriel emphasized to Mary uh, when he talked to her about her coming child. He will rule or he will reign on the throne of his father David. A direct reference to the Davidic covenant. If you look at that covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you'll find a number of points of interest. First of all, he said to David, God said to David, I will be his father to your descendant, this one who is coming through you. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with the floggings inflicted by men. This is a direct reference to the immediate descendants of David. First of all, Solomon. And we know that Solomon was not faithful to his covenant with God. We know that Solomon did not honor God in his life. He started off A-OK. Everything went well for a while. He honored the Lord with his wisdom. He honored the Lord with his rule over Israel. But then uh, he was possessed by his passions. He became arrogant and prideful. He began to look to all that he was as an individual and as a king over Israel. All the power that he had, all the influence that was his... And he began to play on those things. And he began to play with those things. He accumulated unto himself great wealth. He accumulated unto himself many wives and many mistresses. He accumulated great uh, influence over the surrounding nations. He was puffed up before God. He didn't honor God. And he was also disciplined by God. And the descendants of David through Solomon and on down the line of kings. They were not flawless men. They were not perfect men. They did not honor God in all things. And yet they were judged by God for their disobedience. So this first principle has to do directly with the immediate descendants of David. Has nothing to do with the Messiah because the, we know the Messiah was not an individual who did wrong. We know the Messiah was one who was perfectly obedient to the Lord God in all things. So this pertains to the immediate future of the house of David, to Solomon and to his descendants. But there are other elements to this covenant that do pertain to the coming Messiah. And you find those uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33 that we had already mentioned. I want you to note that there are seven blessings in this covenant. If you're still in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there are seven blessings that God has promised to David and to the, the ultimate one who would come through the Davidic line. The first blessing is that they would have a particular land and they would possess that land forever. That is the land of Canaan. Now we know today, dear friends, that that land is in turmoil. We know that there are certain portions of that land that the Hebrew people possess, but there are other portions of the land that Gentiles possess. But there is coming a day, according to the promise that God made with David, there is coming a day when the children of Abraham will, in, will possess the promised land in its entirety. Not only that, they will possess that land in peace. 
all of the conflict that is going on in the Middle East today, all of the wrangling between the Jews and the Palestinians, all of the uh, wars that are being fought, all of the uh, uh, contentions that are there, and who's going to have what part of the holy city, who's going to uh, rule over the highlands, who's going to rule over the coastlands, all of that will be put to rest. Israel will live in the land that God has promised them. They will live in that land in peace. Third, it will be an eternal land, an eternal kingdom for them. They will possess that land forever. They will possess that land forever. Will they possess that land in the new heaven and the new earth? In, in the new heaven and in the new earth? Yes, they will. That land will be particularly theirs even in the new earth, in the coming kingdom that God has promised. There is a fourth principle. God's fatherly care will be upon his people forever. This doesn't mean that God doesn't love uh, everyone else. God does love us. We're told this over and over and over again in scripture. One of our favorite passages of scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God's love is showered upon all the peoples of the earth, but his abundant love will be poured out upon the descendants of Abraham forever. They have a particular place in God's heart, just like they will have a particular place to live in God's new earth. A fifth principle here, that a house will be established through David forever. David's descendants will reign as kings, and they did. But there will come one king through David who will reign forever. That would be the Messiah. Notice another principle that David's throne will be established forever. David's throne will be established forever. One of the things that is seldom ever talked about, but is certainly a part of the covenant promise of God, and is also depicted in the book of the Revelation, is that King David will be raised with all of the other saints in glory, and he will have a position, a high ruling position, in the kingdom of Christ when it's established. He will reign as prince over the holy city, Jerusalem. Jesus Christ will reign as king over all of the earth. David will reign as prince of Jerusalem in that kingdom. And then the final principle in the divinic covenant is that this is an eternal covenant. It cannot be broken. It cannot be set aside. It will not fade into oblivion. It will be a covenant that God has established with his people forever. These are the seven principles involved in the Davidic covenant. One aspect of this covenant that's repeated over and over and over again in scripture is that God will be the protector and the provider of his people thus guaranteeing their future blessing now what does that mean when this is repeated again and again and again that God would be their protector and provider 
thus guaranteeing their future blessing. Think with me about this. Has there ever been a time when the descendants of Abraham did not exist in the earth after the time of Abraham? Has there ever been a time after Abraham when the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, ceased to exist as a people on the earth? No. There have been other cultures, there have been other nations that have risen up and established themselves that have been destroyed and have been completely wiped off the face of the earth. But there has never been a time, even though there have been kings and kingdoms that have tried to destroy the Hebrew people, that have tried to eradicate the earth from the Jewish people. They have failed, and they have failed miserably. Why is that? Even most recently, under the reign of the Third Reich, under Nazi Germany, when uh, this was the final solution that was presented to Uh, the leaders of Nazi Germany to completely eradicate the Jewish people from Europe. And then if they were successful in ruling over the earth to eradicate the earth from the Hebrew people, they failed miserably. Is it because the Hebrew people were so ingenious in their thinking that they were able to elude extermination? Was it because they were so powerful that they could rise up against their oppressors and they could conquer those who tried to conquer them? Is it, was, was it because they were so wealthy that they could buy their freedom from uh, Nazi oppression or from the oppression of any other nation of the earth? Absolutely not. The only reason that the Hebrew people continue to exist in the earth today is because of this promise of God to David. The promise of God to Abraham before him and the renewing of that promise of God to David. God keeps his promises. It is an unconditional promise given to the children of Abraham. They have refused God. They have rebuked God. They have rejected God. They have fallen, uh, they have fallen away from God, turned away from God rather. They have gone after false gods. They have worshipped idols. God has kicked them out of the promised land, but they still exist in the earth today because of the unconditional promise of God to them. And that's exactly what is meant in Scripture when God reiterates again and again and again that he would be their protector and he would be their provider. They will never cease to exist upon the face of the earth. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 6, God said to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations out of you and kings will come forth from you. And that promise was fulfilled and will continue to be fulfilled. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 30 and 31, God said of Israel, Then will they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord. I will be with you. 
I will support you. I will encourage you. I will strengthen you. I will provide for you. I will protect you because I am your God. Look at this Davidic covenant again. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, God guarantees that his purpose to bring to mankind a righteous king would be fulfilled. It was not only an immediate fulfillment, but it's also a long-term fulfillment. God would bring through David successive kings that will rule over the house of Israel. But there is coming one who will rule over the house of Israel forever. Look at verse 14. God will maintain a special relationship with David's descendants. And that special relationship, dear friends, will not only be to the sons and daughters of Abraham, but it will also be to the followers and the disciples of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. God will establish an eternal royal dynasty that will outlast any earthly temple or house. Now David reiterates these promises in Psalm 132 verses 11 through 16. I want you to look at that. Psalm 132 verses 11 through 16. This is a psalm of David. And in this psalm, David sings of these promises of God. Psalm 132 beginning in verse 11. David sings, For the sake of David thy servant, do not turn away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. That's the coming Messiah. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion, that is, Jerusalem. The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothed with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. The Messiah is to be David's flesh and blood. Verse 11, the Messiah is to sit on David's throne. Verse 11, God's chosen city, Jerusalem, will be the eternal capital of his people. In verse 17, the Messiah will be a light to the house of David forever. In verse 17, the horn, which is a symbol of strength, and the branch, which is one who will sprout forth, it is the descendant, is the Messiah, who will unite the offices of the priest and the king together as one. In verse 17, David will reign as a prince eternally under the Messiah in his kingdom. In verses 17 and 18, the Messiah, the anointed one, will be triumphant 
over his enemies. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful covenant that God has made with David. And again, I want to underscore this, dear friends. It is not because of anything special about David. It was not because David was great and strong and powerful or rich or handsome or any of these other things. It's because God chose him. It was God's election. It was God's selective purpose that David would be this individual whom God would set up to be the example of who a king and what a king would be in his kingdom. Now, why is that important for you and for me? Well, the same holds true for us in Jesus Christ. Why are you a Christian? Is it because there was something special about you that God would choose to save you through His Son, Jesus Christ? Is it because you're handsome or beautiful? Is it because you're popular? Is it because you are wealthy? Is it because you're influential? Is it because you come from a a, a significant family? No. God chose you to be a child in His kingdom through His Son, Jesus Christ, because He chose you. He didn't choose you for what you could bring into his kingdom. He chose you so you would be enriched by his kingdom. He chose you because he chose you. And as it was with David... God established some wonderful promises and gave to him some things greatly, uh, some great things to look forward to, so he has granted the same thing to you and me. There are some great things that God in Christ Jesus has promised to us. Just as Jesus Christ fulfilled all of these things in the Davidic covenant, you and I will also fulfill a number of things in the kingdom of God. I want us to look at the nature of that kingdom. This is what you and I have to look forward to. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. I asked at the beginning of the service, are you tired and growing weary of of this old world, this old life? Are you looking for something better? Are you longing for something greater than what we were able to provide for ourselves? Well, here, friends, this is it. Isaiah chapter 11. This is the coming kingdom that God has promised. I want you to follow along as we read this. Isaiah chapter 11. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse... And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. These are all descriptive of the Messiah, the one who will rule as king over the kingdom of God. Now... What will that kingdom look like? 
Verse 6. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. What does that mean? What does that mean? The wolf will dwell with the lamb. Peace. 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 There will not be any fear in the heart of the lamb. In the presence of the wolf, there will be peace. And the leopard will lie down with the kid. Again, peace. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. And they will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters that cover the sea. Then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. They will look to the Messiah, the King of the kingdom, who will stand as a signal for, all, for the peoples. And his resting place will be glorious. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he will lift up a standard for the nations and will assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart and those who harass Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah and Judah will not harass Ephraim. You remember in the days of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was divided You had the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, and you had the southern two tribes. The northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern two tribes called Judah. But they were also called by other names. The northern ten tribes were also called Ephraim, because that was the predominant tribe of the north. Here he is saying, there will no longer be any divisions among my people. My people will be united under the king, the Messiah. They will not be jealous of each other. They will not contend with each other. They will live together in peace as God intended them to live. Verse 14, they will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines on the west. Together they will plunder the sons of the east. They will possess Edom and Moab, and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. All of the enemies of Israel, all of the ones who plagued Israel in the land of Canaan, all the ones who attempted to rid Israel from, to rip Israel from their land, all of those nations will be conquered. They will be defeated. They will exist no more. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. He will wave his hand over the river with his scorching wind. He will strike it into seven streams and make men walk over dry shod. And there will be a highway from Assyria, from the remnant of his people who will be left, just as there was for Israel in the day that they came up out of the land of Egypt. What What a kingdom. And that's a kingdom, dear friend, that you and I are going to inhabit along with those Hebrew people who turn to faith in Jesus Christ. That kingdom has not yet come. 
It has not yet appeared on the pages of human history, but it is coming. It is coming because it has been set in motion long before the first man left his footprint on the face of this planet. This was the plan of God from eternity past. Scripture calls this the day of the Lord, a time when God will personally intervene in human history to fulfill his plan and his purposes for all of creation. It will be a time when he will set up his kingdom on the earth and rule as king and lord over every nation, over every tribe, over every culture, and over every family of the earth for a thousand years that kingdom will be established. It'll be a time when he will destroy, after this kingdom has come to an end, he will destroy the heavens and the earth and establish a new universe with a new heaven, God's dwelling, with a new Jerusalem, the capital for the king, and with a new earth, the place where we will dwell forever. Isaiah said that this one, this Messiah, who will usher in the great day, is a shoot from the stump of Jesse. He is the branch from Jesse's roots. He'll be a descendant of the household of Jesse. He will be a man from the royal bloodline of David. He will be the promised Messiah of God, the one who will conquer the enemies of God, primarily Satan and all of those who follow Satan. He will disrupt Satan's power and influence over all of the earth. He will remove the curse of sin upon a fallen and condemned humanity. That's what Isaiah 11 is all about. All of the things that pain us, all of the things that prove problematic to us. All of the things that cause us distress, the king of the kingdom will remove them from us. We'll experience them no more. The descendant of this house of Jesse, the one who will come through the royal bloodline of David, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. God is salvation. He is the son of Mary, but he is also the son of God, the true and living God, the only begotten son of God. He is the heir to the throne of David. If you follow the bloodline of David, it goes all the way, uh, of Jesus, it goes all the way back to David. If you follow the household of Jesus through Joseph, it goes all the way back to David. He is the heir to the kingdom that God promised to David. Daniel speaks of this. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, I kept looking in the night visions, Daniel said. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. 
So David was given the unconditional promise. Daniel saw the fulfillment of that promise, as did the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Turn to Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. Revelation 19, beginning at verse 11. The apostle on the island of Patmos, his eyes were opened to the future events, the future plan of God for creation. Beginning in verse 11, I saw the heavens open, John writes, and behold a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war, and his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, that's crowns, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, All the birds which fly in mid-heaven, come and assemble together for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against him. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had, who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. He's coming again. And he is coming to put down the enemies of God. But he's also coming to establish his kingdom. Look at chapter 20 and the first six verses. I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until thousand years were completed, until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The kingdom that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11, the kingdom that God promised Abraham, the kingdom that God promised David, the kingdom that Daniel saw in his vision, and the kingdom that John saw in his vision is the kingdom that Jesus Christ is bringing to the earth when he returns. And we will have a part in that kingdom if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God promised it long ago, and God always keeps his promises to his people. Now let me close with a few thoughts, if you will. This kingdom of Jesus Christ has been promised for many centuries. And this Messiah, the King of the Kingdom, was promised to our first parents in the Garden of Eden, to Adam and to Eve. And yet the vast majority of people in the earth do not believe it, do not accept it, and they reject it because that kingdom has not come. And there are people today and I've talked with some, and you've talked with some, I'm sure, who've said, well, you know, that was promised 2,000 years ago. It was promised uh, through Jesus Christ. And it's been 2,000 years, and that kingdom has not come. And my response has always been, that's true. But we're 2,000 years closer. We're 2,000 years closer to that time when the kingdom is going to come. This plan of God is an unconditional promise. And it cannot and it will not be set aside by anyone, even God himself. It is a plan, it is a promise that cannot be defeated by Satan or by those who follow him. It cannot be prevented by any government that exists today or that has ever existed or that ever will exist until that kingdom comes. Christ is coming again. And his kingdom is coming with him. All of the forces of the earth and of hell cannot prevent the establishment of his kingdom in the earth. He is coming again. You can believe it. You can reject it. But whether you believe it or not, it is still proof positive by the promise of God and the history of the promises of God that he will keep his word. That kingdom is coming. I don't know when that day will arrive, but I know it's soon. I know it's soon. The old world can't hold out much longer. The people of the earth, in my opinion, have just about run their course. Look around you. Open your eyes. Listen to the voices that are all around you. The stage is set for the final days. The king is coming. His kingdom is coming. 
But tragically, the people of the earth are not ready for this kingdom. Are you ready for it? Should it come today? Should it come in the next week or month or in the next year? Will you be ready for the kingdom when it comes? Will the kingdom and its appearing be a day of rejoicing for you? Or will it be a day of fear and a day of mourning? I tell you this, the earth is ready for the kingdom to come. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation... The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the sons of God to appear. Creation is waiting for this kingdom of Christ to come. For the creation, Paul continues, this creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, Paul says, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until this very time. Creation is longing for the day of the Lord. Creation is anticipating the coming kingdom of Christ. The earth is ready for the kingdom of Christ. But are you ready for that coming kingdom? Should again the trumpet of the Lord sound and the skies split with the glorious radiance of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, will you rise up and greet him as your king. Will you enter into his kingdom when that kingdom comes? That's a question that all of us must ask and answer. And it must be answered sincerely, honestly, and from the very depths of our being based upon where our faith really rests. Does it, fa- does it rest in ourselves Does it rest in our government? Does it rest in our abilities? Does it rest in our knowledge and wisdom? Or does it rest in Jesus Christ, the Messiah whom God has promised, the one who will be king over God's eternal kingdom? Let's stand together in prayer. Father, My heart's cry is the heart cry of the Apostle John who concluded the book of the Revelation with these words, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're ready. Like creation, we're longing for your kingdom to come. But Father, we also realize that there are many people around us, even in our own families, who are not ready. And should the trumpet sound today, 
they would be left behind. Should the kingdom appear, they would not enter in. So Lord, burden our hearts for those whom we know do not know Jesus Christ, that we may extend to them an invitation to know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to prepare themselves to enter into the kingdom when in your timing the kingdom will appear. Lord, I do pray for many in our church family who are struggling with health issues, those, Lord God, who are confined to skilled nursing facilities and to hospitals and even confined to their homes because of their inability to physically get out and to be with your people. Those, Lord God, who are able to get out, but they're still not well. I ask, Lord God, that you will bless Wanda uh, today as she has requested prayer uh, for the health issues that she is facing. Strengthen her, Father. Lift her up with your strong and mighty arm. And give her, Lord, peace, knowing that as the great physician, you are watching over her and you will care for her as well as for many other individuals in our church family. And now as we leave the house, may we be mindful, Lord God, of your presence with us and may we be looking for your appearing because we know it can happen at any moment. Bless us with joy even in the midst of crisis. Bless us with confidence, continued confidence in Jesus Christ, even though, Lord God, the days are uncertain. Bless us with peace in our heart, knowing that even though we are citizens of this great nation, we have a higher citizenship in a kingdom that will last forever. These things I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.